0: Over these past weeks we have been with Jesus during the feast of Hanukkah basically in December. And he has been there in Jerusalem and in the temple area and he ends up in an encounter with the uh, the the some of the Sanhedrin members, the religious leaders there in the temple that is so violent and so ugly that basically his season There in Jerusalem as an end until he chooses to come back at Passover and die, and so he has to get out of town. And he does. They they're going to they're going to stone him, and and they're serious, and uh, so he 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 leaves Jerusalem, and he goes about 18 miles to 20 miles uh, to the east, and Jerusalem's up about 3,000 feet. And just, it's right at the peak of this mountain range. And when you, when you go east, it just goes downhill. And you, you can, it goes down to the lowest place on planet Earth. So you go from 3,000 feet above sea level, about there, and you go clear down to 1,200 feet below sea level. And so it's, it's, it's this barren wilderness. It's, it's really quite beautiful. It's called the Judean wilderness. You, just the, the trail winds down there. And there is the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. And where the Jordan River uh, and the road cross is, I think, where he went. It's called Bethabara, the the house of of, of ferry, of passing and shipping. It's where they ferry you across the river. And uh, that's where John the Baptist had originally been baptizing. It's where Jesus went and he was baptized. It's where he met the first five or six of his disciples. They, they had been disciples of John. And uh, he was there. John points to him and says, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Did it a couple of times. And finally, uh, John and Andrew said, well, if that's him, we're going. And, and then the, the discipling process began. He began to call disciples. So he goes back there. He doesn't stay there the whole time. In fact, he, he will come. And this is what we're going to see today. He will come up to Bethany because he's called urgently, uh, because a dear friend, Lazarus, is, is, is ill. Well, he's actually dead by the time Jesus arrives. Uh, and he would, Bethany is just two miles to the east of Jerusalem, so he's very close to the city. It's just you come up the Mount of Olives to the, on the east side of the city, and just over the crest, that's Bethany. And so he'll go there, but he won't go in the city. He'll end up actually heading north uh, after that, Uh, to a town about 14 miles north uh, called Ephraim, uh, on the wilderness, edge of the wilderness, and he'll be there. And then finally, three or four months later, he'll come into Jerusalem during Passover. And uh, we we know that story, and we'll get to it later. So, Father, open the word. Open our heart to the word. I pray for grace, Lord, that I would let you speak, and we we would be discipled by Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are our rabbi. You are our teacher. You are our master and Lord. We want you to feed us and teach us. And I pray for grace so that you can do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you say the words, not yet with me? Yeah, that's the title of this. I'll start at verse 40 of John 10 and go down to verse 6 of 11. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing. And he was staying there. Many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign... Yet everything John said about this man was true. Many believed in him there. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Would you say two days longer? Two days longer. Yeah, okay. So they send some sort of servant down to to say, or, or friend saying, "Go get him. Uh, Lazarus is dying," and uh, the, the the messenger arrives and says, uh, "He whom you love is is sick." But me, you know, the this is urgent. And so Jesus says, "No, he's not going to die. We're going to he's going to be healed or raised up." And so he stays two days longer. Does that seem strange? Yeah. yeah. By the time Jesus arrived there at Bethany. Lazarus had been dead four days, four days. Now, come on, in that climate, now it is, it is winter uh, still, so it's not all that hot. So maybe, the, I don't know how bad the body's going to be. But what they do in those, those cultures is they take and they, they cover the dead body with uh, this goo out of, uh, out of myrrh and aloes, and they smear it all over and all that, and then they wrap it with strips of linen, so like a mummy. Uh, and then they stick him in a in a, in a, a sepulcher. They'll they'll put him in on some sort of stone flat stone area, all wrapped up like this. And they'll let him desiccate. <laughs> they'll let him dry for about a year until uh, he's nice and dry. And then they'll take and they'll uh, they'll cr- take it all out apart and they'll crumble it all into a a bone box. It's called an ossuary. And the, the thing the, it's a stone box. It's just long enough for the femur. That's the longest bone. And so you pile all these bones in the box, put the lid on, and stick it in a niche. So there's Lazarus right there. And you're ready for the next one. You know, you stick them on, dry them, dry them, and put them in the box, and that's where he ends up. So he's nicely drying in, and he's been in there for four days. And you can just imagine uh, the, the, the condition of all that. Okay. Here we go. One of the most wonderful aspects of watching Jesus in action is that we're seeing how things ought to work. He never prayed a wrong request. No prayer of his ever went unanswered because of a lack of faith. And no spiritual opposition was too difficult for him to overcome. Whenever we get into the subject of prayer, the question always arises as to why some prayers are answered and it appears some are not. Because we humans sometimes do pray amiss, or lack faith, or encounter strongholds that are too tough for us. Trying to explain our disappointments in prayer can become very confusing. We're never entirely sure which part of the failure is our fault and which was actually God's will, but we we didn't know it. Yet when Jesus ministered, there was no element of human failure. We're watching perfection. Which is why this account of the raising of Lazarus is so interesting. It shows us that there is a right time for a prayer to be answered. And that God's answer may arrive after we've passed the point where it appears to be too late. Before we go any further into this subject, we need to recognize the fact that we are specifically told that it was God's will to raise Lazarus. When Jesus heard the report... He said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. That is not the case with everyone who dies. There is a time for each of us to die, so we can't read about this miracle and then decide that if we have enough faith and are patient, God will raise up every person we pray for. Even Lazarus went on to die a natural death, and his body stayed in the grave. I'll just say one thing. Though that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for people... Uh, and really fight for people. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking of situations, you, you know, you go uh, places in the world, and when someone dies, in some cases, uh, they'll actually say, Lord, do you want them raised up or do you want them dead? And they'll pray, and if they think they want them raised up, they'll go for it. And, uh, and sometimes raise them up. Other uh, times, nope. Lord says, nope, it's their time. Okay, bury them. And uh, so there's a timing in this, and there's a a thing, but we need to fight. Uh, Sometimes people will say it looks bad. It doesn't matter. Your job and mine is to fight and do what God gives us to do. We're not not God. We don't make the decision. Uh, We we do what God gives us to do, and that often is to, even when it seems unreasonable, to just fight and believe that for for that healing and that miracle. Amen? Amen? But notice, even though in Lazarus, a case it was God's will to do a miracle it was not his will to do it immediately there was a right time for the miracle and until that time arrived Jesus waited when he finally reached Bethany Lazarus had been dead for four days his sister Mary was so heartbroken she didn't even come out to greet Jesus and Martha responded to his statement about her brother rising again by assuming that Jesus meant he would be resurrected at the end of the age Clearly, both women had passed the point of hoping for a miracle for their brother. And who can blame them? By every normal standard, it was too late. Yet the fact remains, when they asked for, God to, God, for help, God didn't say no. He said, not yet. There are times He says the same to us. Jesus had repeatedly shown enormous courage in the face of threats. We're back there in Jerusalem. Time after time, he'd returned to the temple knowing that the religious authorities wanted to arrest and execute him. But after escaping this latest attack, he left the city and went out to a place beside the Jordan River where John the Baptist had begun his ministry. It was the site where he himself had been baptized. He called his first disciples and he did not return to Jerusalem until shortly before Passover, three to four months later. At some point during those months, he left Jordan to visit Bethany a village located about two miles east of Jerusalem. He went there only to raise Lazarus from the dead. And then from there, traveled north to a city near the eastern edge of the Judean wilderness called Ephraim. John doesn't record anything Jesus said or did during those months that he spent near the Jordan River, but he must have continued to minister because John says many came to him and many believed in him there. Those who had listened to John the Baptist preach at the same location two to three years earlier still remembered this word about Jesus. And after listening to Jesus teach and watching him minister, they concluded that what John had said about him was true. Jesus was the promised son of God. He had existed before his birth. He would take away the sin of the world, and he would baptize God's people in the Holy Spirit. Do you realize John said all that about Jesus? Yeah, he really proclaimed him. This response shows that John had successfully carried out his assignment to testify to the light. While Jesus was staying near the Jordan, a messenger arrived requesting that he come quickly to the village of Bethany because his dear friend Lazarus was dying. Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were followers of Jesus, and the family gladly welcomed him and his disciples into their home when they passed by. Since there were so many people named Mary at the time, John identifies this Mary as the woman who performed a profound prophetic ministry shortly before Jesus was crucified. We'll see that when we get to John 12. She anointed him with an entire vial of very expensive perfume and then wiped his feet with her hair. At the time, Jesus explained that she was symbolically preparing him for his upcoming burial. It's about 18 miles from Bethany to the Jordan River, so the sisters must have sent someone young and strong to carry their request as quickly as possible. Their message was simple. Lord, he whom you love is, is sick, weak, or ill. The fact that they sent a messenger at all meant the situation was urgent. It meant they were worried and hoped he would come immediately before it was too late. When Jesus heard their plea, he recognized at once that the Father intended to use this event as another sign particularly to the leaders in Jerusalem, that he was the son of God. Lazarus and his sisters were a very prominent family, which can, we can, can be seen from the fact that many religious leaders came out from the city to mourn when Lazarus died. After describing the miracle of raising Lazarus, John will tell us the effect that that event had on those leaders. He says, therefore, many of the Jews, the religious leaders, the ones who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done, Believed in him. You, you don't realize this, this particular miracle is probably what really got Jesus killed. He's been doing things you can't explain, but you ought to picture this Lazarus, and, uh, this family's prominent. You can tell. You've got, you've got Sanhedrin members in their robes and all coming out to mourn with them. And they're out there uh, apparently several days with, with the family. So when Jesus arrives at this sepulcher, and there's Mary and Martha and all, these religious leaders are watching. Now picture this: I mean, I, Jesus stands in front of this 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 tomb. You're going to have somebody, will I trust, have rolled the rock away? I mean, it's a little hard, even if you are alive, to get out with a rock in front of you. So, but but poor Lazarus is in there, in the goo and in the wrapping. And Jesus, you know, praises his father. I know you always hear me, you know, but they don't know that. So I know you're just saying. And then he goes, Lazarus, come forth. And here comes this guy. I mean, I would imagine he sort of shuffled out or crawled out. I mean, how do you walk in that gut stuff? He, he comes out and you've got these religious leaders. They, they know this family they know Lazarus. They know what he died from. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about all of this. And they're going, oh my goodness. And it says, many of them believed. And that didn't stop there, by the way. You get to Acts chapter 6, and, and, and again, you have many priests and Levites are believing. These are at the top. You've got your top religious leaders. In fact, Caiaphas, who's a wicked man. I mean, you have an awful man uh, as, a, as the high priest at this point. He's not a godly man in any form. The family bought their position. So you've got this awful person, and he says, if we don't kill this guy, everybody's going to believe in him. And th- then they decided, by the way, they were going to kill Lazarus too. Teach him, come back to life. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, could, would you do that? I mean, I don't care how mad you are. Would you kill a guy that came back to life after four days dead? I mean, that takes a lot of chutzpah. I mean, really, who does that kind of thing? All right. So Jesus' initial response to their request was to wait. He heard their plea. He declared that it was God's will to do a miracle. He loved them dearly. But there was a right time for this miracle to take place, and it wasn't yet. God had a plan to use this miracle to save many. Jesus teaches on prayer a number of times. And he teaches here something really important. He's he's, he's teaching us a deep principle. Starting at verse 1 there, I'll go down to 8. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Would you say not lose heart? Okay, so he's teaching us that when all the time, at all times, whenever we pray, we ought to position ourselves to persevere in prayer. Did you follow that? You don't pray one little prayer. You don't shoot off little prayers. I mean, you know, if, you, if, if you're standing for something, you, 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 you can position yourself, I'm going to pray and I'll pray till I'm done. I mean, till this is done. So he says, I, he's teaching them to, to pray and not lose heart saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection for my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and, he will, and will he delay over them, long over them? I tell you that he will bring out about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, be careful. He is not saying that God is like that unrighteous judge. His point is, if wicked judges can be worn out by being pestered, and and, and with a demand for justice, and will actually give it to you, how much more will your righteous Heavenly Father give you justice when you call for it? Do you follow that? It's It's a parable of contrast, not of comparison. He's contrasting, but he's explaining, if that person will do it, how much more? His point is, keep asking God. Why? Well, we'll find out. Jesus taught his disciples that it is normal to pray for a long time in order to receive an answer, even when what we are asking for is God's will. Sometimes we ask for things that aren't his will, and the answer is no. A wise person will gladly receive that reply because he or she trusts God's wisdom and love and therefore desires his will above their own. But still we have to learn to persevere in prayer, not because God doesn't hear us the first time we ask, not because He doesn't want to help us, and not because He doesn't love us dearly, but because there may be other reasons that delay His answer. Here are four possible reasons. Number one, the devil is actively opposing us. We are engaged in a spiritual battle. Why don't you read that with me? The devil is actively opposing us, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And then I quote to you there from from Matthew 12. Jesus says, Or how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? Who's the strong man? What's he talking about? It is Satan. It is the demonic forces. In fact, it's in the context of demon deliverance, that he speaks this. He's been delivering these demons, and and some of these religious leaders are, are, are saying, well, he does it by the power of Beelzebul. I mean, he's full of the devil, and that's how come he has authority over these demons. And so you have this kind of, uh, 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 their accusation going on. And in this course of this, Jesus says, look, when you want to set someone free, you have to first break the spiritual bondage that's holding them. Did you follow this? People are entrapped. People are held in darkness. People are under the bondage of demonic forces. And you and I have the authority in Christ to break that. Did you follow? Have you ever prayed for someone and after a while you think, they're just, they're just, they're just spiritually so out of touch? I mean, they, they don't know. Our job is often to pray over people and lift that thing off them. And believe it or not, you'll, I mean, you'll, you'll sense it. You can see it. People begin to wake up. Th- this is almost troubling. And I don't know what, uh, what, you, what you, you do with it as you will. When you start praying for people effectively, you will start seeing people spiritually move. It, sometimes they'll actually get worse for a while. But you'll see stuff stir. And you'll think to yourself, now wait a minute, if I weren't praying, would this be happening? And you realize, no, it wouldn't. You're thinking, oh my, I'm responsible, aren't I? You are. And I don't know how to get that off your back. A lot of people say, don't put that on me. You know, God will do what God will do, really. I'm telling you, this world is not a stage where God is pulling strings and has little puppets. This world is a battlefield. And the sooner you and I accept that, wake up to that fact, everything will start to make sense when you change that paradigm. When you move from because and, and you come by it honestly, all of us do. We live in America and it's been just riddled with this kind of calvinistic determinism from our roots. So everybody will go, everything's done for a reason. God's in control of it all. And you, and so we just that just comes in our in our water. I mean, we don't even have to look for it. Unbelievers believe it, I think. Uh, So you have to kind of break from that and go, this is not a stage where God is orchestrating everything. This is a battlefield where souls are being won and lost. Where when I pray, it matters. Things are changed when I pray. And so Jesus is giving us an example here. He says, if you want somebody free you got to break that spiritual bondage, the strong man that holds them, and then you can plunder the strong man's house and take his treasure. People, you can take them away from him. Daniel 10, verse 2 here, says, In those days I, Daniel, had been mourning, meaning fasting and probably sackcloth, that kind of thing, for th- in three entire weeks. And, then, and Daniel, uh, verse 12, Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel. This is Gabriel who shows up, I think. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this, and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for how long? How long has he been praying? Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Now, there are simply spiritual forces that oppose. You want, to win a, you want to see a family member. You want to see a, 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 a city come to Christ. Amen? Amen? There are things that are holding it. It isn't just bad temper and, 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 and sort of bad thinking that's been taught to them. There's actually spiritual bondage. Here is Daniel praying for for 21 days and fasting, asking God for revelation. When when the angel finally shows up, he says, I would have been here 21 days ago, but I had to fight my way through this demonic covering and power over Persia. Where's Daniel? He's in Persia. Now, if you think the prince of Persia is tough, you should try Federal Way. No, you, just joking, Western Washington. How about the Prince of Seattle? Huh? Yeah, sounds like a new TV series. Anyway, um, you can overdo it, and there are people who do. But nonetheless, the truth is there. You sit and say, I, "I prayed. I don't know. God apparently doesn't want to do it." And wh- you you did one little boink prayer, and you figured you were going to take down the prince of the area you're going to break the strong man and make him let go cuz you went boink and prayed and god didn't answer how many people this is really tragic and, and you get you'll get unbelievers who kind of give god a try oh well, you know somebody's dying and oh god and they just feel like doing such a big deal i mean they're actually praying a prayer how how about that and then if god doesn't answer it see i prayed and i asked and he didn't help us and so they hate him the rest of their lives i mean it's really a sad scenario it's so immature, and it's so lacking of understanding. You entered into a battlefield. You went out with your little slingshot and went doink. Nothing happened, and you figured, well, I guess God's not in it. Grow up. If you wanna, you wanna, you wanna, you, there's things to learn. You learn how to pray, and then you set yourself. It's like you set your feet. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to believe God, until something moves. That's how you move walls. That's how you change cities. When you have enough people just, who are just, just, just standing, just believing, just pressing back the darkness, believing God to pour out his spirit on our city or our community or your family or that really stubborn person, you watch things move. Jesus tells us we ought to always pray and not lose heart. The world is a battlefield, not a stage. We are in a war, not a written play where everything happens according to God's will. Once we realize that and once we accept that God has given us spiritual authority, you have it in Christ, great spiritual authority, which we must use to partner with him in that battle. Then we understand why we have to pray and continue praying for a long time if necessary you follow? Let me give you one more quick illustration. Do you remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? The, the Baal prophets? Baal is the god of the storm. He's the god of lightning and rain and all that. And so they, they have this contest. Uh, who, which god can send down fire? Well, the god of, of lightning should be able to send down fire, Baal. And uh, so they pile things up. You recall this. And they have their offerings. And, and it's the true living god of, of Israel that sends down fire that not only burns the offering, it burns up the stones, <laughs> the whole nine yards, quite impressive. And, uh, uh, and so then they kill the Baal prophets, and the people of Israel cry out, you know, uh, actually they cry out, Elijah, Elijah, uh, God is our God. Um, and they, they call out that. Now, the, the nation has been for three and a half years under a curse. There's not been a drop of rain in three and a half years. They're in a terrible drought. Now it's time. Now that the hearts of the people have turned, now we can appeal to God for, for, for mercy. And so Elijah goes out, and he, and he sits down, and Mount Carmel is right there next to the sea. So you, you sat someplace where I could see the sea, and he's got a servant, Gehazi, and, and he sits, and he puts his head between his knees, and he prays. And he says to his servant, go look, what do you see? And he goes and he looks out over the water. Nothing. Comes back. How, how many times did he do that? Seven times. Why? Didn't God hear him the first time? What's he doing? He's fighting. He's fighting. He's pushing this thing. He's believing God. He's, 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 he's lifting the curse. There's been a curse on the land. They've deserved every bit of it. But he's asking for mercy. He's appealing for the Lord. He's pushing. He's pushing. He's fighting. Finally, the seventh time, he sends him out one more time. The guy looks and he says, I see a, a cloud the size of a man's hand on the horizon. We'll see the weather comes from the west. Good weather. Bad weather comes the other direction. So he sees a cloud. He says, run. And he, he gets his robe and he, he tucks the backside into his belt so he doesn't trip. It's called girding your loins. And, and then he runs and he runs all the way, like 15 miles to, to Jezreel and beats the king Ahab who gets stuck in the mud with his chariot and It's a great story. Elijah was fighting. Number two, God must do a deep work inside us before we're able to receive his answer. Would you say that? God must do a deep work inside us before we are able to receive his answer. Many times the answer is yes. I'll happily give you that. But you've asked for something way too big than you're able to receive. You have neither either the character or the health you have neither the uh, faith you're not there yet but child you've asked me i'm gonna give it to you but in order for you to get it i gotta work in you i gotta grow you up until you are able to receive to take what i want to hand to you you follow this genesis 12 1 and 2 there now the lord said to abram i will make you a nation that's the very first promise he gets, basically, is I'm going to make you the father of a great nation of people. Genesis twelve four. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So at about 75, he gets this promise that he's going to be a father. At this point, he's not. He's married. They don't have children. Uh, but God says, I'm going to give you children. Genesis 15, 5, at one point, a number of years later, he marches him outside under the night sky, and he says, look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. This, after Abraham says, I'm getting old, I have no children, you said you'd give me children, the Eliezer of Damascus, my servant, is going to inherit my estate if I die right now, I have no children. And God says, look at the sky." See them all? Can you count them? Nope. You're going to have that many kids. Poor Sarah. No. He he meant generations after generations. Verse 7. Chapter 17. Genesis. Then Abraham fell on his face. 13 years later this is now. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And said in his heart. 'Will Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah who is 90 years old bear a child? And Chapter 21, so Sarah conceived, this is a year later, and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. How many years between the first promise and the final answer? 25 years. 25 years. Why so long? Is he dragging it out? Is he just making him miserable? He's playing with him? No, these two people are old. Their organs are old, forgive me. Sarah has to believe and lay hold of the power of God to rejuvenate her organs, and I think so does Abraham. Would you like to do this? I had, by the way, last service. I had somebody said, "No, (laughs) don't go there." What's going on for twenty-five years? Their faith is wavering; they're struggling. They're laboring. Does that ever happen to you? (laughs) Huh? Times you believe and times you go, ah, it's never going to happen. Their faith is wavering, but God is working in them, and it works. I mean, come on. I am so impressed with Sarah and Abraham. But that woman laid hold of God until he rejuvenated her, and she became a young woman again inside. God will have to often, you ask for something, your answer is yes, but not yet. Why? Because you don't have the ability to receive what you've asked for. You aren't, you aren't strong enough. You aren't deep enough. You aren't. You didn't there yet. But child, I love you. Since you've asked, I'll take your hand and I'll raise you. I'll grow you. I'll change you. I'll work in you till you can have the very thing you asked for. Does that make sense? Yes. Number three. The person we're praying for has a free will and can resist God. However, as we continue to pray, God continues to pursue them. And when the situation is right, they may receive him. People are given a free will. You say, well, I'm praying for them. Well, God does not come because you prayed and suspend their free will. He woos them. He's the hound of heaven. He stays at it. You and I often will give up. When you begin to pray for someone, and he really puts them on your heart, It's family member, a loved one, or, or maybe someone else, you basically position yourself to pray for as long as it will take. I, I've shared this, but let me just mention quickly. The, the, my, my, I prayed for my aunt and my uncle, since the time I met the Lord, when I was about 12 years of age, about 50 years later, I get a phone call from my cousin, and he says, uh, are you coming down here in Southern California anytime soon? I said, well, I don't have any plans to. He's, I said, do you need me? And he says, well, your uncle's dying. And uh, he said he's got this going on, and he's just really, really in uh, he was thrashing and, tr- and worried and frightened. And uh, he said, I said, uh, would you ask if he wants me? <laughs> my, I'm intimidated by my uncle, okay? And uh, I said, just ask if he wants me. If he wants me to come, I'd be happy to. I'll be on a plane tomorrow. And he says, he wants you to come. Okay, here we go. So I get on a plane, go right from the airport straight to the hospital, walk right into his room. And, and um, the, the family says, okay, you're here, bye. <laughs> and here, and, and I, have a, I have I have, I have. I've been praying for how long? And I have suddenly being asked to witness to my uncle, with him sitting there looking at me, going, "Tell me about Jesus." Now he's a good man. And he always was a good man. He was, this is, you're not talking. You know what I did? I took him to, to Philippians 3 where Paul says, he, uh, he says, even though I, uh, he said, I had every reason to boast as a Jew. I was righteous, blameless according to the law. But he said, I cast all that away that I might have the righteousness of faith. And I said, uncle, you've been a good man. I can't point at things and say you've done things wrong. But I can tell you this, you have to push that away. You can't trust your goodness. You have to push it away and receive the gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. Will you do that? Yes, I will. And I led him to the Lord, and I laid hands on him, and the power came on him. Then my, my aunt comes in. It's time for them to do something medical for him. And she says to everybody, she "says you, she, my aunt says, now you all go to lunch. I'm going to talk to Steve. And so she sits me down, and she says, now, I need, I need to tell you. She says, uh, you remember three years ago when I had a heart attack? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, uh, "I died." In fact, she was in that same room uh, when she when she had it. She said, "I died, and I went up there." She said, "I rose out of my body." Do you? And then she said, "I said I, I, I got up, there and I said, oh, Lord, I'm not ready yet.'" And she said, "And I went back into my body." Do you think I'm crazy? I said, "No." I said, "I know exactly what happened. I believe you." And I said, "You know what happened? You, you did die." And I said, "And and and there." there you, you do not cease to exist when you die. You'll go somewhere. You, you, you're, you're fully, I said, but you need Jesus Christ. And she, I just led her right through. I used Isaiah 53, 53 and uh, Philippians 3 again with her. Just walked her right through the gospel. And she happily, boy, did she get saved too. <laughs> My little aunt, I mean, she's about that high, but there's something about her. She could be Queen Elizabeth and she's not pretentious. She just walks in a room and every man in the room stands up and goes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> And there's something about her. I'm just telling. She was, she was remarkable. I loved her. So anyway, she gets deeply saved. 50 years we, I prayed and my mother prayed for them. Not until 10 days before my uncle died. He died 10 days later. Did he receive Christ? When you stand, when you decide to pray for someone... There are seasons in life. There are moments. Some people are not ready to really talk about their eternity till they know there's no other hope. And in those last days and hours, there are people who are going, okay, now it's time. I got to deal with this. Now, you wish they hadn't been in denial for the last 30 years. But it is what it is. And they're open now. And God doesn't leave. You've been praying. God opens the door. Boom. And suddenly you have your opportunity. Do you follow me? Yes, but not yet. Number four. God is waiting in order to allow the situation to develop to the point that when he acts, people will recognize that it was his power and did this miracle. He he actually did this with Lazarus. He was waiting... To allow the situation to develop so that Lazarus actually died. The religious leaders all come out from Jerusalem and are gathered there. It's four days dead. He's, He's doing a miracle that is absolutely uncontestable. Nobody can say this isn't the power of God. And many, many religious leaders believed in him. This is a salvation activity. He's saving souls. That's why Jesus waited. Exodus 7, the Lord says to Moses, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, meaning make him stubborn and resistant, give give him guts to say no to me in the face of miracles, that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. God was actually witnessing to the Egyptians. He he gave Pharaoh the guts to say no, what, nine times? Time after time to say no, and then up comes another miracle, and a bigger miracle, and a bigger miracle, until all of Egypt, in fact, all of the entire world in that region knew about this. Everybody's watching. And when he he leads his people out, the whole world goes, "That's that's the real God right there. He was evangelizing. God times His miracles so they will reach unbelievers and prove to them that He is the true God. He always prioritizes reaching the lost, assigning blame. There can be times when we have every reason to believe we are praying according to His will, and yet we don't fully receive what we're hoping for. This can be a dangerous moment. We may begin to assign blame. Number one, we may decide it's God's fault. He didn't do his part. And there are many bitter people who spend the rest of their lives angry at God because they feel he could have helped but didn't. Number two, we may decide that another person is to blame. Their sins brought the problem, or they didn't have enough faith to stand with us in believing for a miracle. Deep hatred over such things can split families and end friendships. Number three, we may decide it's our own fault. If we had only done this or said that, if we had only been able to have enough faith, the miracle would have happened. People who blame themselves like this can begin to m- medicate their misery with addictive substances and behaviors or slide into depression or contemplate suicide. It's amazing. When things happen, often other family members will decide it was their fault. If, I, if I, God is punishing us because of what I did, or if I'd only had faith, this would have changed You recognize what I'm saying? This is a deadly matter. This is a very serious matter. When things don't turn out the way we want, there's something in the human nature that wants to sit in the judgment seat and decide whose fault is this. You'll get it wrong virtually every time. You do not know the intricacies of the spiritual world. You just don't. You'll get it wrong and you'll... you can blow families apart. You can, you can put yourself into depression and, and virtually ruin yourself agonizing over, over 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 owning the responsibility. You can how many people, how many people who are God failed? You know, God didn't answer. Why we prayed and God didn't help us, and, and so the rest of their life they hate God. Choosing humility. The only way to avoid assigning blame for such disappointments is to deliberately choose humility. It is possible to refuse to sit in the judgment seat. It's possible to choose to trust God's overruling grace, accepting the fact that he alone knows the answer to the question, what went wrong? And, in that, and that in his infinite wisdom and love, he has, all, he has ways to make bad situations turn out right. Even in her disappointment, Martha was confident that her brother Lazarus would rise again at the end of the age. That's no false hope. When that resurrection takes place, place death will be gone forever. If that were the only miracle we received in a a situation we prayed for, we would still have reason to shout for joy. Frequently, we struggle with the answers to our prayers because we forget how short this life is and how long and real eternal life is. We may be grieving here on earth while our loved one is rejoicing in heaven. You see what we're saying? There's a point you, you... you, you and I are wise if we just say, I don't know the answer. I humbly come to you, Lord, and just put it aside. You know. Just don't judge anybody, including yourself. Lord, here it is. But put our faith in the fact that God has his overruling grace. He's merciful. Who knows what he's done, even in a person's heart, who you may think didn't know Christ. You don't, you don't know what goes on I had somebody stand right here last night after service and say what do I do he's in a coma I said talk in his ear I've led people to the Lord in a coma I know I have I said the spirit's still awake you have no idea the conversations that that spirit went through talking to the Lord in moments before death you don't know you don't know and when people arise I realize they're dying this is real you, you have no idea whether or not that, that heart crawled out and go, God, I'm forgive me. I have mercy on me. I, I know one man, and I, and I totally believe him. He's a totally trustworthy man. He died, and as he was going down this corridor, he cried out, Oh, God. He said, if you, if you, <laughs> if you let me live, I'll preach the gospel. And he said, he said, I was sucked back into my body like a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> yeah. He said, said, I was was on my way down this. He says, you know, they talk about that corridor. I was going down it. He says, I was going down this thing, you know. And he says, God, if you let me live, I'll I'll, I'll preach the gospel. He says, and it was like a vacuum cleaner. (laughs) He says, I just was back in my body. Who knows where you can have your conversations? (laughs) I'm just saying, you and I have to just put this thing in God's hands and say, blessed be the Lord. If there's anything he could do, he would have done. He did it. In rescuing people. Scheduling prayer. Jesus told us not to lose heart. Paul told us to pray without ceasing. To do that, prayer must become a regular part of our daily lives. We have to decide that we are going to continue praying until our answer comes, no matter how long that may take. Let that settle in. It's an attitude. It's a choice about prayer. In some cases, we may have to pray for a person or a situation for decades or even the rest of our lives. And that will never happen unless we build patterns of prayer into our lives. Prayer must become part of our daily and weekly routine. We can't wait for some inspiration to move us to prayer, though we're happy to respond when those promptings come. Each of us must discover times and ways to pray That work for us. And then stick to our commitments. All schedules will be interrupted by unexpected events. But if we're truly determined to pray. We will return to that schedule as soon as we can. I just suggest. I'm telling you. If you're going to pray. What was it? Last week. The Lord. Or two weeks ago. The Lord said to us. I want to do more. But for me to do more. You'll have to what? Pray more. Right. Right. And, and, and so we're learning how, to, how do we pray more then? Well, one of the ways we pray more, and today, by the way, I did not plan a series on prayer. This is just the Lord just put, putting these things in here uh, as we start the new year. Apparently, this is, this is important to him. So he says, I want to do more, but you have to pray more. And, and now we're talking about, okay, how do we pray more? Uh, one of the ways is we learn to put disciplined prayer in our life. What should do, what I would do, You can do this on a computer. I know some of you don't want to touch paper if you don't have to, but I would take an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper, and I just go like that, and I and I make I make seven columns, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I would say, all right, what what days do I do what? I just and I do this. This is how I work, and I write my days out. And here's my, I put prayer here, and here's my my Sabbath, where I can take like a four hours and 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 here's where and you build little patterns in you can simple ones you can you can pray a bit before you before you eat do you say grace you know you can add a little more to grace mary mary and i will uh on on free evenings we'll sit down and we we read and i read a little of the bible and i read these these wonderful mission books those those christian heroes then and now that i think they're in the bookstore if you haven't seen them we don't sell them there but you can see them and so we're reading through that. And then I take her hand. And we pray, at that point, we pray lists. We go through all of her family members. Our aunts, I mean our nieces and nephews and, and everybody. We go through all of my family members. We go through church. We go through staff. We go through, we just name and names and we're praying for situations and praying for this person to be healed and this person to have a baby. And, and just, you know what I'm saying? We do our lists. We just go right through. That's when we do that. Um, I, every time I get in the car to come down here, uh, I'll turn that into a prayer time. And I, and I'm so I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, or I'm praying for the you, or I'm praying. I'm just asking God. I'm I'm, I'm using that time. I'm a, you have time in the car? Start putting times and give them to God. It doesn't have to be just you know you you have this slot really early in the morning or something. It's lovely if you have that. If you can do that, great. Tell me how it is like. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I get up, but not as early as some of you. Um, And you, you, you build it into your life. That's what you commit to. Yes, your schedule will be interrupted. Something will happen next week. But you just come back to your schedule. Do you follow me? If we're going to pray for our city, if we're going to see breakthroughs in 2017, if family members are going to come to Christ, it is not going to be by shooting off a prayer here and there. It is going to come from this kind of prayer. Why? God's heard our requests. What we're doing is lifting up faith. Lifting up faith over and over again. Just holding the matter in faith before him. It's really us. We're standing strong in our hearts. God, we're just trusting you. Just trusting you. Trusting you for my uncle. 30 years, 40 years. Trusting you for my uncle. He heard me loud and clear. He would do a wonder that would make me cry to this day. If I had to go 50 years holding a faith, I couldn't flag. You have to believe. Motivating prayer. What is it that keeps someone praying for a long time? We might think it's faith. And faith is surely part of the answer. But the only motivation that will keep a person praying for someone else as long as it may take is love. Love won't let us stop. Love won't let go of God. So who do you or I love enough to pray for this way? A family member, a friend, a church, a prominent person. I won't take time, but sometimes you know those these, these movie stars, or politicians, or or athletes, and you you watch them. You think, I just wish that person knew the Lord. If God really lays them on your heart, why don't you pray for them? I've had a number of them die, you know, and I thought to myself, I should have been praying for that person, you know. Uh, Just just saying. A nation, a mission field. I think one of the saddest things that can happen is for us to assume that when God says not yet, he means no. If we don't understand the difference, we will quickly lose heart and quit. And many spiritual battles are lost this way. Not yet doesn't mean no. It means yes, but you'll have to fight for it. The question before us today is who are, you, who are we fighting for? Who do we love enough to refuse to stop praying even after it appears to be too late? Would you stand with me? Blessed be the Lord. I'll, I'll tell you something. The enemy does not want us to learn this lesson. When the men and women of God learn to pray and to stand in prayer... This is where it says you can move mountains. It says you can take a mulberry tree with this huge root system and pluck it up and cast it into the sea. When, when, when we learn to pray with this, with this kind of just standing before the Lord, praying and not losing heart, learning to just hold it before him, learning to just keep believing him, keep trusting him for what he's, what he's promised to do in our hearts, just standing there. That's where some of the toughest people in the world Get one to Jesus Christ. Some of the most difficult cities can, 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 can change. This is how you move the big things. And the Lord's called us to big things. He's called us. He says, I want to do things. I want to do more. And so he's, he's equipping us. I didn't plan this. This is, just, this is the Holy Spirit. He's equipping us to, 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 for a great year. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. You have given us your precious name that we can pray in your name and we can come before the Father boldly right into the throne room of heaven and bring our needs. We are heard in you. There's no question. We are loved in you. You, Your heart is to give us everything we need. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us to pray. Teach us to be strong. Teach us to let you do in us and through us all the things that are in your heart. Come, Holy Spirit, help us, some of us, with scheduling, some of us with, with under, understanding this and building it into our lives. Lord, if some of us are wounded, if I've touched some, some sore nerves today and we've had failures or, 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 or things that worry us, we ask you to just release us. Release us to a fresh time of standing and trusting you. And then, Lord, if there's any judgment, any, any condemnation, any blame that's been spread around, us to others or us to ourselves, would you forgive us? Pull that root out of our hearts. We are not the judge. We humble ourselves before you and say, We trust you and we give all of that into your hand. You alone know the answers. You're the judge, not us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Do you agree with my prayer? Would you say, Amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, Please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.